As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realised it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy to use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Page One podcast. I'm Tarek. I'm Marco. And you've just heard an advert, as always, for Page One, the writer's notebook. All the information is in the bio, so please do check it out and grab one if you're still interested. If you just head to the link in the bio, you can hit the late pledge button on the Kickstarter page, and that means you can still get in on page one when it launches and get planning your next story. Absolutely. Well, who's on this week's episode, Marco? This Nobody, I'm assuming. Well, exactly, Terry. You might not know, because you didn't actually turn up for the you interview. You recorded a podcast without me. What can I say? Unbelievable. <laughs> I'm cancelling my page one notebook. This is this is my attempt to cut Tarek out of the podcast <laughs> this week, so please give this episode particularly high rating. <laughs> um, no, this week uh, I spoke to Mark Billingham. Tarek was otherwise indisposed. Um, Mark Billingham is a best-selling uh, UK crime writer. Uh, he's written, I think it's coming on for 20 books in the Tom Thorne series, Um Really good crime novels, really realistic, I think, but also unique in in each crime that happens in it, but not in a sort of ridiculous, outlandish mm, type yeah, way. Yeah. Um, uh, the first book, Sleepyhead, was an instant bestseller, and uh, it's a great book with a very kind of unusual type of killer, someone who's almost, who's almost not a killer. Not killer. Yeah, yeah, he's he's trying to to do something to people that doesn't kill them, but yeah, it's a it's. As you say, it's a very nice twist on the normal types of killers you get in these books. Yeah, so um, I spoke to Mark about Sleepyhead, about how he got into writing, and uh, the Tom Thorne series, including his latest book, Their Little Secret, which is just out in hardback. So um, enjoy the podcast, and we'll be back at the end I mean, for a bit more chat. Won't be that good, I'm pretty sure. No, I think I think you in particular, Tyler, will really enjoy it. <laughs> I will never listen to this episode. <laughs> Okay, speak to you after. See ya. Just to explain, normally there's actually two of us that do this, but my colleague has been caught by real work, unfortunately. So so, so you're just stuck with me today. Um, um, So if it goes badly, we'll blame him. And if it goes well, we'll forget him. So that's 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 the idea. So I mean, I suppose to to begin, um, you had quite an unusual route into becoming a a best-selling author. I think it's fair to say. Uh, yeah, in the, I uh, I guess I come from a performance background. Mm-hmm. Um, all I ever really wanted to be was an actor when I was at school, so uh, I got into that and. Uh, enjoyed that very much for a few years until it kind of, you know, uh, I fell out of love with it eventually because it's a tough life, you know, mm-hmm. and you spend time not working and, 
Um, so I kind of drifted into stand-up comedy, which was sort of booming back then in the mid-80s uh, and was a lot easier to get into than it is now. Uh, and, yeah, started working as a stand-up, and that seemed to work out okay. I, I ended up doing that for the best part of 20 years. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, not long into that, I started, I started writing. Uh, I mean, I'd always written you know, one thing or another, stories at school and terrible plays and awful poems and that kind of stuff. And uh, um, sat, and at the same time, devouring crime novels. I mean, right. I'm, I'm okay. just reading everything there is. And mm-hmm. uh, just sat down to write one, you know, in about um, 1999, 2000, and just sort of got lucky first time. And and it was just that. It was just, yeah, it wasn't, was it an idea that had been bubbling in your head for a while or did you just well, think, I'm going to give a go at writing a novel? Sort of. Uh, I, I mean, like I said, I'd been, I'd been hanging around the fringes of the crime fiction community. I mean, I was reviewing crime fiction. I was interviewing writers. Uh, I was doing anything I could to get free books, really. Mm-hmm. And, um, then I sat down to write one and I, yeah, I had this germ of an idea. I'd read this book called The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which is an amazing mm-hmm. book. Yeah. Um, written by somebody who who suffered with this uh, terrible thing called locked-in syndrome and dictated the entire book by blinking um, and being the sick and twisted sod that I am. Uh, I started to wonder if you could do that to somebody on purpose because it just struck me as the worst thing you could possibly do. Uh-huh. Um, and my wife at the time, my wife's a TV director and she was directing a, a medical drama called Casualty and she said, why don't you come and have a word with our medical advisor? So I met this amazing guy and uh, spoke to him and he said, wow, uh, yeah, you, I mean, it, you could, but it'd be really difficult and if you got it ever so slightly wrong, they would die. And I and sort of had, had a light bulb moment, you know, about, you know, what I've essentially come up with here is the serial killer who isn't trying to kill anyone. Yeah. Um, and that was, the, that was the hook for the book. And I just sat down and wrote, I wrote 30,000 words, uh, on holiday with the family one summer and sent those off to an agent in kind of 1999. And some agents wanted it. And, and I picked an agent. And they sent those 30,000 words off to publishers and some publishers wanted it. And it all went a bit crazy. And that, that was it. Oh. I got it. Uh, which is, you know, I had, I had a dozen writers good luck because, you know, whenever I'm asked, how do you get published? I say, well, work hard and be lucky, yeah. you know, and I got, got all that luck early on. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that's definitely something that we've encountered when we've spoken to other writers as well. It is, it's, you know, you've got to write, obviously, you've got to get yeah. the stuff written. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but also there is a, there is quite a big element of, of uh, luck in it as well, as it seems to be for, for a lot of people. A huge element of luck, good, good and bad. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you do, you, you do workshops and so on and you talk to unpublished authors and, and they don't want to hear that. You know, it's, yeah. it's an awful thing to hear that, you know, they can write the, the, you know, the best crime novel or the best novel of any sort anybody's ever read, but they just might not get the luck. It's got to pass across the desk of the right agent at the right time and then the right editor at the right time. And even, even if you're lucky enough to get a publishing deal, you then need that extra amount of luck, which is that the book is published well, which of yeah. course is a euphemism for having some money spent on it. <laughs> and you know, you've got to have all the, you've got to tick all those boxes. It's incredibly difficult. Um, and there's no question that if you get that bit of luck, you've then got to grab it with both hands and run with it, you know, and keep, keep turning those books out. But, um, well, yeah, I, I mean, just in terms of that as well, I mean, it is, yeah, you can get published and then even it can sort of fizzle out as well, even if yeah. you get that publishing deal and you have been quite, um, obviously prolific with the, the, the Thorn series and stuff. Uh, how, how do you, 
how are you so prolific? You must be quite well, disciplined I'm, in your approach. Uh, yes, disciplined, but also I have the time to do it because I'm, I think I'm one of 5% of writers in this country who write full time. Mm-hmm. So I've got nothing else to do. I've got no excuse not to, not to write a book a year. I mean, there's no question that if you're a writer of commercial fiction, a book a year is kind of expected, mm-hmm. both by the publisher and by the readers. Um, and, uh, if you can write full time, that is completely achievable. I mean, a lot of writers talk about this mythical thousand words a day. And if you think about it, a thousand words a day over the course of a year is three bloody novels. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, your thousand words a day will end up becoming 250 good words by the time you've done your editing and so mm-hmm. on. But that's still a book a year. It's, it's eminently achievable. You have to, you have to balance it up with all the other demands on your time. Uh, once you've got books published here and in other countries, you have to travel to promote the books. You have mm-hmm. to go to festivals. There's media to do. There's radio and TV. And if you're a shameless whore like I am, uh, then you end up doing a lot of that stuff because I really enjoy Enjoy it. Um, so you have to figure out that's writing time, that's showing off time, um, and just be organised about it. But yeah, it's it's perfectly achievable. And when you're writing, when you're doing your, um, I suppose, looking at the process that you've got, if you are doing however many words a day or whatever, are you someone that will try and bash out that first draft and get it, you know, get the get the main plot or the story down there and then edit it, or do you do you no, edit it as you go? No, no. I'm very much an editor as I go. So I, uh, by the time I, by the time I send off, you know, what is what I call my first draft, it's, it's a hundred and first draft. Mm-hmm. I can't write chapter two until I'm absolutely happy with chapter one. And that goes for every paragraph and every sentence. So I can't just go blah, blah, blah and just move, keep moving forward like a shark. Um, it's a slow process of accretion. Uh, but that means that, that, you know, I deliver that first draft bunch of notes from my editor do a rewrite and it's pretty much done um because it's it's in pretty good shape yeah. by the time i deliver it uh you know there's a bit of an ocd thing on i, I have to deliver a very very first clean first draft uh-huh. um so not just after i'm happy with structurally but that you know that doesn't have a single typo in it i can't i can't bear that mm-hmm. <laughs> and does, does that mean that then you're spending a lot of time before you even get to the writing in terms of the planning stage of it as well no no i wish i could say that was true it uh, thinking yeah but mm-hmm. not um, I'm not a planner. I don't really, uh, you know, I have a whiteboard in my office thinking it would be really useful and be full of plans and post-it notes. And it just isn't. Um, I just stick stuff on it. Um, I, I have an opening. I, you know, I kind of I have an idea what the book is about and I kind of have a vague arc of a story in my head, but then I just write the first scene. I just put the characters on the page and write what I hope is an arresting and engaging first scene and just take it from there. Mm-hmm. And it just leads itself. Uh, hopefully I mean sometimes it doesn't sometimes I just go straight into a brick wall and have to mm-hmm. step away for a few weeks and, and think again but um yeah if I planned everything out to the nth degree then I wouldn't enjoy writing it at all it'd be like homework yeah no I mean when I write as well it is it's that it's that sort of thing of um you know you're the best the best type of writing is you're writing a story that you actually are engaged with and you want to read yourself and sometimes yeah, oh, the characters can sometimes even surprise you as you're writing completely, in a way. completely and and i write as a reader you know mm-hmm. it's almost as if there's an invisible reader looking over my shoulder when i'm when i'm typing you know mm-hmm. because i'm imagining the story being read mm-hmm. uh and I, I approach it as a reader almost as much as i do a writer because i know that it's not going to have any life to it until it's read you know it's just just be some words on a page until somebody reads it that's when a book comes to life you know mm-hmm. And with 
with Tom Thorne, was it the character that came to you first, or was it this idea of the locked-in syndrome? And then you, you it, it was the idea. The hmm. the um the book. I always wanted the book to be about the victim. Hmm. Um, that's always been very important to me. I got very sick of reading books where you have a a cop and a killer, and they're on this collision course. And yeah. you know, the victims are just plot devices. They no, you never really get a chance to engage with the victims or care about the victims. So the main character in the, that first book was the victim, Alison, who spends the entire book in a coma. So you're just inside her head. Um, I needed a cop because there'd been a crime committed, so I just kind of invented one. And yet he ended up having more stage time because he was the cop, but I never really imagined I'd be writing about him 20 years later. <laughs> he was just there because I needed him, you know, for that first book. And and how is it when you write a... Well, how did it, I suppose, to take a step back, how did it develop that it was always going to be this, or largely it was going to be about Tom Thorne, that you were going to write each story sort of developed him and, and well back 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 when this first book came out uh the series was kind of the holy grail certainly in terms of commercial crime fiction mm. so <clears throat> every publisher that wanted it when i went in to meet them their first question was is this the start of a series uh and so of course i went yes absolutely um even though i wasn't really that sure what i was going to do now i mean i hadn't finished the first book this is on thirty thousand words bear in mind so mm-hmm. i haven't even finished the first book so i certainly wasn't thinking about the second or the third or the fourth um but it became very clear that that's what they wanted so i wrote another one and another one and yeah, suddenly i was in into a series and i think i wrote five thought novels before i branched out and did something else um and you can afford to do that when you've kind of got a, a, a fan base established. You know, the books yeah. were very well published and did okay. So I was able to do that, but I had to get the series up and running first. And do you, do you still enjoy writing about Thorne? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I only because I have stepped away and done other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just in terms of the books. I've written standalone novels, but I've also done, you know, weird kind of tangential stuff. I've, I've toured around with a, with a country and western act doing a, a show based around a short story I wrote. Yeah. I work with five other crime writers in a rock band. Um, I, you know, I do, uh, other collaborative stuff to, to keep mm-hmm. myself interested. Um, so that then when I go back to Thorn, yeah, I feel sort of fired up and, and ready to keep telling his story, you know. And you've, you have brought in other people into Thorne's world, obviously. There was Helen Weeks, um, yeah. in, uh, in Dark Places. And in your latest book, um, Nicola Tanner as well. Uh, their, yeah, their she, little she, secret. she emerged, she emerged three or four books ago. Um, and, uh, she emerged in a standalone. Um, as did Helen Weeks. Helen Weeks was the mm-hmm. character who first appeared in a standalone and, uh, uh, then sort of her, she bled into the series, um, and ended up getting her own TV show, for God's sake. Yes. I never <laughs> meant that to happen. Um, and Tanner's another one. She first appeared in a standalone book called Die of Shame a few years back. And she was the anti-Thorn. You know, she's everything Thorn isn't. Mm-hmm. So that I just thought it might be fun to put these two together. And I think they're now three books in, uh, together and, and very much a double act. In fact, mm-hmm. this is the first book that's on the cover. It says a Thorn and Tanner thriller. That's mm-hmm. the first time that's happened. And that's, that's what it is. And, and what is it about the latest one? 
Um, it's about, it's about two very different liars, people who are lying for very different reasons. One who is a professional liar who lies because it's the way he makes his money. He cheats women. He's a con man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he gets together with a woman who is lying about something for a very, very different reason. And w- when these two people come together, it creates a kind of third entity. It's that classic folie à deux mm-hmm. thing of these two people come together and some twisted kind of chemistry takes place between the two of them and creates something uh, monstrous. And I've always been quite interested in how that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that's that. That's their little secret is very much <laughs> that thing that happens between the two of them. Excellent. And w- when you're writing people, is obviously, you mu- is Thorne must almost be like an old friend or something. You kind of know, yeah. you know him and you know him inside out. Um, when you're writing from the point of view of a female character or anything like that, does yes. that present any other any challenges? No, of course, of course, it's slightly harder. I mean, mm-hmm. it's much easier for me to write about a bloke in his late fifties because I'm a bloke in his late fifties. But, uh, but it's, it's, you know, currently the, 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 my work in progress, a lot of it is from the point of view of a five year old boy. Um, and that's, you know, that's inevitably harder, but also inevitably more interesting and, mm-hmm. and stepping out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And they're all acting exercises of one sort or another. I mean, uh, I come from that background where performance is very important. And I feel, I feel that the novel is a performance. I've always felt that <clears throat> a very different kind of performance. But a performance nonetheless. And so, yeah, these are a whole new cast of characters. And obviously, if I'm writing a scene between Thorne and Hendrix and these characters I've been writing about for 20 years, I know what, obviously, I kind of know what I'm doing. And it's a bit more of a leap into the unknown if I'm writing about uh, an old lady or a young boy or whatever it might be. Um, but you've got to. I mean, mm. you've absolutely got to. Otherwise, the books would get very yeah, dull absolutely. very quickly. Yeah. And, and when you're writing a series, does it, um, ha- you know, if, if you've got these, this, at some stage, you've decided, right, the Thorn is going to be an ongoing series. And yeah. do you ever plan a lot of stories down the arc and say, right, oh, no. five books and no. I want to be not there a clue. or anything like that? Not a, not a clue. Um, I I can barely get to the end of the book I'm writing. I have no <laughs> what what a book three four years down the line is going to be. Yeah. No, absolutely not. I do, and I don't even have um, a, a, an arc, a dossier on Thorn. I know no more about Thorn than the reader does. I genuinely don't. If they've read the Thorn books, they know is all there is to know. Um, I don't have a, a plan for him. I don't know anything about him. So, so with each new book, you're peeling away a new la- layer of the onion and right. it keeps the character unpredictable and, uh, surprising. And I want him to stay that way so that I stay interested in him because if I'm not interested in him anymore, the, the sure as hell the reader won't be. No, so no, there is, there really is no plan. <laughs> And what about when he was, there was obviously the TV series with um, David Morrissey. And um, did you, you said earlier that obviously you get to collaborate doing these other things as well. And obviously writing novels is generally a solitary uh, business most of the time anyway. So did you collaborate in the TV adaptation at all? Uh, I collaborated with David. I mean, uh, David and I are good mates now. Uh, He was my idea. He was the actor I always wanted and I was lucky enough to get him. Uh, And he was great because he was really interested in the character. He didn't just, you know, he's not one of those actors that just turns up and reads the lines. Uh, He wanted to know who Thorne was. He he did a lot of work on backstory and way more than I've ever done. Um, And uh, it's, it's, it's a really interesting thing. It's a different thing. You know, uh, and the fact that I've never known or cared what Thorne looks like, mm-hmm. I've, I've taken 
great pains to avoid describing him too much yeah. uh, uh, because Thorne is whoever the reader imagines him to be. So um, I don't see David, you know, even writing that first book after this TV series went out, it wasn't like I was picturing David or picturing any of the other actors who played those characters. Um, Cause I know, you know, I'm looking out at the world through his eyes. So I know how he thinks and what he feels about stuff, what he looks like uh, doesn't really matter very much. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was very um, it was very interesting mm-hmm. uh, to, to see it on TV, but um, it, it hasn't changed the books at all. And how did it? How does that feel though? When you you know you've you've created this world, you've created these characters, and you know the same applies, I suppose, to in dark places as well. They're suddenly alive and. Although they've been alive in your head, suddenly everyone else can see them as well. What does that feel like as a as a writer that has created these people? Well, when it's shown on TV, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, again, it, obviously, when you do that deal and you sell your book to TV, if you're lucky enough to get it made, you know that what you're going to get is an awful lot of readers going, "That's not who Tom Thorne is. <laughs> yeah. uh, he doesn't look like that." And why was his house in you know uh, East London as opposed to North London? And what happened to his cat? And why has he got a different car? And you know, you try to explain that, that to change a 400-page novel into two hours of television, yeah. three hours of television, as I was lucky enough to get per book, um, takes a great deal of, of change and things get condensed and cut and chopped around. Of course they do, but all those decisions are taken for perfectly good reasons. Mm-hmm. And you, you only know that when you're on the inside and you, you know why the decisions have been made. Um, I do understand why people watch and get frustrated and go, but they've changed who the killer was. I mean, they did actually do that when they adapted Sleepyhead. But you know what? It's fine because it's a different thing. It's not the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was just, I, I was hugely excited. I, I'm, I'm as influenced by television as, as I am by anything I've ever read. So to see these characters I've created on TV was fantastically exciting, yeah. But is, it, is, there any, is there ever any sense of, I don't know, protection or something? You know, you're, you're kind of giving these characters that you've, you've brought up, if you like, um, over to someone else to, to handle and, and letting them play with them in your world kind of a thing. Yeah. It, it, but that, that's an enjoyable process for you. It's well, you do a, have to hand it over. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I mean, you know, nobody makes you. Nobody's mm-hmm. got a gun to your head. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, you've done the deal. You've signed the contract. You've taken the money. Um, you just have to let them get on with it. I knew very early on that I didn't want to write the screenplay. That's for somebody else to do because firstly, it's a completely different skill. And, and, and secondly, I'm too close to the material. Yeah. And when it comes to all those cuts and changes and whatever, I can't be the one to make them because I'd never make them so somebody else has to do it uh, so you just stand back and let the people who know what they're doing get on with it and then yeah. you just you know that's the that's the theory that if if you just take uh, do the do the deal walk away let it get made um, then you you turn up at the premiere and if it's terrible you go nothing to do with me and if it's brilliant and wins a hatful of BAFTAs, you go, yeah, that's my book, you know. So you kind of can't, you can't lose if you do that. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being flippant. I was involved. I did go to the set. I was yeah. involved. I did see the script at every stage. I saw casting video, videos and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably even more so, uh, with the Helen Week series on mm-hmm. BBC One a few years ago. Um, yeah, I was involved. Um, but not stupidly, mm-hmm. you know, not, not to the point where it would stop me getting on with my day job, which is writing the books. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But you have, you have, um, or you did dabble in screenplays before, did you? Is that right? You wrote a couple of screenplays. Well, I've done, I used to, yeah, I used to write uh, TV shows, but they were, you know, things like kids' comedy drama, yeah. half hour stuff, sitcom stuff, mostly comedy actually. And that's fine. Um, but, you know, a full, a full screenplay is, 
I never say never. It might be the kind of thing uh, I might do one day. But I think I'd write an original screenplay rather than trying to adapt something. Mm-hmm. And would you ever want to step away from the crime world? Um, I know. I think I'd find that difficult because it is. It is. You know, the one piece of advice I give to to new writers is write the book you want to read, and mm-hmm. the book I want to read is inevitably a crime novel. And the, I, I read plenty of other stuff. Don't get me wrong, but it it never fires me up quite as much as a great a great crime novel. Um, so I, I would find it very hard to turn in a slim volume of poetry or a, a, a <laughs> or a rom com or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, there is so much you can do within the crime genre. That's the thing. I don't find it at all restricting, and I and I hate uh, people that talk about how the genre. You know that yes, there are rules, but they're there so you can break them. Um, and uh, there's very little you can not do with it, which is why crime fiction is so popular because it's so such an enormous umbrella. Yeah, so absolutely. if I want to turn around, you know, I think actually I've been moving away from police procedure more towards something psychological in the last, mm-hmm. last couple of books. Um, uh, you know, the book I'm writing now, I've gone back in time to the mid nineties. So I'm writing something that feels like historical crime mm-hmm. fiction. Um, so yeah, as, as long as I can keep myself interested, there's always going to be a murder probably. <laughs> but I mean, in, in, in a genre, like crime and stuff, there are obviously, as you say, these rules and stuff and cliches, but sometimes that can be used, you know, you can turn those on their head or use that as as a way to get into the story and take it oh, in a yeah. different direction. And oh, like yeah, that. and they're kind of what people expect. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I've known a lot of cops uh, in the course of writing the books and very few of them are haunted by past cases or have problems with drink or drugs or listen to a particular type of yeah. music. Or, but, but I don't want to write about them and I, and I don't think readers want to read about them. You know, that goes to the territory and that goes right back to Sherlock Holmes. You know, it's it's become an archetype for a very good reason. Mm-hmm. And have you ever... Uh, uh, it just struck me that writing crime in particular might be affected by this, but has there ever been an idea or a story that you've been working on that has in some way real, something in real life has happened or something that you've thought, oh, better, I better not go there or I'll need to change that a bit or anything like that? Well, uh, I mean, I, I've written a couple of books in the last few years that have been largely inspired by real-life cases, uh, and you have to tread carefully. You have to tread very carefully when, when, when you're doing that because – you know, people will be reading this book that have direct uh, knowledge of, of these cases that might have been affected personally by them. So you just, it, it makes you step a bit more carefully. Um, uh, in fact, the last book of mine that was published, a book called The Killing Habit, was was largely inspired by this series of, of cat killings that was that was happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the book was published in hardback. But before it came out in paperback, the police, the Metropolitan Police, then announced that the case had been solved and that there was no cat killer and it was foxes, uh, which is one one of the more ludicrous pronouncements I've heard uh, about uh, the cases. There's one thing I know it certainly isn't foxes. Um, but so, yeah, so, so, you know, sometimes uh, the case you're writing about will change while you're writing about it. So it's mm. something that you need to be, it's something I've tended to avoid. I think I've done it two or three times in 20 years. Yeah. And do you have, uh, I think you mentioned that, you, you know, you know, policemen and stuff like that. When you're developing a novel or it, do you have someone or a couple of people or something that you can phone up and say, look, would Thorne do this or would this happen or something? Well, like only, only if it's something really, really specific. I, I used to be very, very crazy about research. I would just do it to the nth degree and realize eventually I was wasting too too much time. Um, and, and the other danger with research is you're then tempted to crowbar into yeah. the book everything you found out you know, at the expense of the story. We, we all know when we come across those passages in books, it's like, oh, here's the information dump. Yeah, exactly. um, 
So uh, these days I'm much more uh, careful with it and I will only find out the things I know I need to find out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, right now, as I say, I'm writing a book set in the mid-90s, so I do need to be talking to a cop who served in the mid-90s, and I am, and he's helping me out, um, because I've no idea what, what it was like to be a policeman then. Yeah. I know what, what movies were on and what TV shows were on and what music people were listening to, but... That's something specific I need to know, so I'll find that out. But I'm not going to waste months and months doing it because kidding myself I'm writing the book because I'm not. Writing the book is writing the book. Yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That no, that's right. It's a, it's a very – it's a, the writer's form of procrastination is to do a little absolutely. bit more research. Absolutely. Yeah, I've yeah. the last three months in the British Library. Well, yeah. just shut and write the book. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I suppose another question you must be asked a lot is where do you get the ideas for – the various different crimes that occur in in your books but for your second book for scaredy cat that was actually something that well it was inspired by something that happened to you is that right uh well certainly one strand of that plot yeah. was yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd been the victim of a violent crime mm-hmm. uh and i thought you know sod it i'm going to use this i'm going to get something out of it so i, I made it even nastier yeah. than what had happened to me um and yeah, used it in a book, got that, got that out of my system. It was very cathartic. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, and you must, but go, just staying on that, you must have to, you know, do the ideas just pop into your head? Is it, you're sort of in the zone of thinking, what would a really horrible crime be or something? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, there is, there is an element of that. There is an element of that. And, and, and it does tend to be part of the process that you do have to, you know, there is going to be a murder. You, you have got to go, go through that and figure out how it's going to be committed. Um, and there are only so many ways that you, you, you can do it before you start getting ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ends up like an episode of Midsummer where somebody was killed by a giant cheese. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, I'm not, I'm less interested. In the, in the, in the mechanics of it mm. than in what, in what that act of violence does to people. That's mm. really what I'm writing about. Yeah. That's what the writers I respect and admire write about is what violence does to people. But if you're going to write about that, you can't shy away from the act of violence itself. Mm-hmm. You can't be all golden age about it and have it happen off screen and off, off the page. You know, you've got to show what it does and you've got to show how, uh, awful it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I will do that if necessary. Yeah. And are you, Influenced, or do you do you enjoy watching crime dramas and crime? Oh, absolutely, like yeah. yeah. No, I do. I'm, I'm a I'm a sucker for it every bit as much as anybody else. I'm, you know, uh, crime drama. I think on TV can certainly get away with a lot more than 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 those of us that write it, yeah. uh, that write novels can. In terms of plot plot holes and that kind of yeah. stuff, uh, you know, I watch crime dramas sometimes and just go, "Oh, that's ridiculous! How could they?" You know. Um, but I, I, so I have to try and suspend my disbelief and go, no, it's a TV show. Shut up. Stop moaning. Um, but yeah, no, I love crime drama. You know, for me, I, like I say, I was influenced by Columbo as much as anything I've ever read. Columbo is the best cop yeah. show of all time. Feel free to argue with me, but you're wrong. <laughs> I, I don't think I should <laughs> argue with that. That's, that's a, a fair point. Um, what about, are there any current, what current, crime thing are you a fan of line of duty or um, I, i'm a fan of it in that in that i you know of course i will sit down next sunday too but it's just about i want to know what happens mm. i just uh which, which of course is that is is what drives all story you know we're hardwired to look for that we always are as a as a, as a species you know we want to know what happens so yeah i want to know how they're going to tie it all up i think a lot of it has been utterly ridiculous you know completely ridiculous I, um, it's, from, it, it from, strikes from, me as something that sort of 
you know, it started out as quite a contained story in the first yeah. series. And yeah. it suffered that thing of having to get bigger and bigger and bigger each Of course, series. and more and more labyrinthine uh-huh. and more and more just, you know, where the, where the whole notion of procedure goes out the window. And mm-hmm. it's because, because they've got to hit those, those big cliffhangers and those big twists and those whatever, you know, however ridiculous some of them might be. But I've watched it every week and I will be in front of the TV next Sunday, yeah, you know. Absolutely. Uh, um, yeah. Well, there have been some brilliant ones. I was, I was a big fan of Unforgotten. Yeah. Uh, th- that's a fantastic show. There have been some brilliant crime, and obviously all the sort of Scandi stuff and the European stuff. Um, but, you know, uh, and, and, you know, all the classics, The Wire and, uh, and Homicide and uh, NYPD Blue going back. And, yeah. Yeah, I've watched them all. <laughs> no, no, but, yeah, well, they, they are all very watchable. Um, there is something about crime, isn't there, that... that um People will tune into it, even if there isn't this, this overarching, you know, a, a lot of TV nowadays is very much, here's a massive story that we're going to tell you over six seasons or something. But yeah, the, the yeah. crime stories, people, I suppose it's the same as what we were saying about the novels that they like, they're, they're sort of comfortable in the sort of, um, the, the steps that each crime story goes through that they'll watch the, the episodes of these things all the time. Well, they do. Yeah. But I, I, I guess what changed very much, I mean, the killing changed everything because the killing suddenly, you know, 22 hours and people are willing to s- sit through it for 22 hours and shows like The Wire where a whole series would be, you know, uh, each episode was like a chapter in a novel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do yearn, I do yearn for those days of, of shows like Columbo or, you know, Macmillan and Wife or whatever it was where the whole thing will be done and dusted in an hour. Yeah. Uh, and it was a self-contained thing. And it didn't matter if you missed the second one, mm-hmm. uh, because the third, well, there'd be a new villain coming along next week. Uh, a part of me misses that because a lot of these shows are such a time suck. Yeah. You, you know, really, and even though it's convenient now because of catch up and all that, you still got to set aside the hours to watch them. And, uh, uh, yeah. So I do miss those, those quick hits. Yeah. You miss out. There's a, there's a lot of shows that are, are sort of on people's lists, but then they realize there's 30 completely, hours of them to completely. watch. And, I, I have never watched a minute of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Not minute of it and i know it's just obsessing people and i know people who are obsessed with it mm-hmm. and why shouldn't they be but there's so much of it now however many seasons that i just think i'm never that's it it's gone yeah. i can never i can never catch up with that there i you know i'd be an i'd be an old man by the time i got through that so i've just had to say bye-bye that's gone you know yeah and are you still doing a comedy as well or no 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 no. i haven't done i mean you know i stand up and show off at book festivals mm. and so um, especially if I'm on with other writers who are similarly uh, inclined. Um, there's a show I do very often with uh, a brilliant Scottish writer called Chris, Chris Brookmeyer that we do kind of late night at festivals, which is just filth, really. It's just filthy jobs. Um, but no, I haven't done stand-up in comedy clubs now for about 10 years. Right, okay. And what, so what, what is, what is in the pipeline then? What's in the- well, the pipeline is the 20th book. Uh, mm-hmm. next year will be 20 years of Thorn, very conveniently, mm-hmm. almost like I planned it 20 years in 2020. <laughs> so, um, the publisher's got quite a lot of stuff planned. There'll be some new, uh, special publications and anniversary editions and this and that. And, and I'll be publishing, uh, the 20th book, which is going to be a prequel to the first book. Um, which is the first, yeah, first time I've done that. I've always moved forward, but I've gone back, uh, to, to make Thorne a bit younger, uh, and see what made him. That's good. And was that a, a new challenge? Find that interesting. Yeah, no, it has been, it has been, uh, quite tricky. I'm about halfway through the, through the book, uh, and, you know, struggling a bit. Um, 
it's tricky. It's tricky going back in time because he's not the thorn I know. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's a thorn before yeah. I'm him, as it were. So, so yeah, I've got, it's a whole uh, different sort of imagination I've got to use. And how how do you deal with things like that? Like, uh, you know, writer's block or anything like that? Is it the best thing for you just to step away and leave it for a bit and let it ruminate? Yeah. Yeah, completely, completely. I'll step away, ruminate. Um, and because, for example, I've got the new book is coming on Thursday for a week or two, mm-hmm. that'll be it. I won't be doing any writing mm-hmm. because I'll be up and down the country, uh, shamelessly pimping the book at events and in bookshops and festivals. Uh, and I can't write on the hoof. I can't write in hotel rooms or on trains. So I'll just have to step away. And, and those two weeks will be thinking time. So mm-hmm. then, I, then I'll get back to it, you know, hopefully with a, with a raft of new ideas. And do you ever have a situation where you're, you know, writing something out and you're just like, this, this just isn't, have you ever had a story where you've started and gone, this just isn't working? Yeah. But, but, but as my wife constantly says to me, you say that every single time and, and it always seems to work out. Yeah. You do. I cons- constantly have that doubt. Yeah. Why would anybody want to read this? It's just some people talking in a room, you know, usually at about this point where I am now about halfway through the book. Uh, where you just feel a bit bogged down in it and, uh, it's hard to stay excited, but it tends to work out in the end. So I'm just, I'm hoping this is one of those occasions. <laughs> well, hang, hang on a minute. How interested the phone's ringing? Let me just, let me just, <laughs> hang on a sec. Um, but I mean, just going back to what we were saying, I suppose that is, you know, writers, it shows that, you know, you're, you're a highly successful writer, but you still have that sort of, not imposter syndrome, but that, that doubt that happens when you, when you're right, even when you're writing your 20th oh, it, book, it is imposter syndrome. Yeah. I mean, call it what it is. It can't, it absolutely is because I mean, you do realize that you're lucky enough to be doing this great job of just making, sitting down and making stuff up. Uh, and yeah, you are constantly worried that there's going to be a tap on the shoulder going, yeah, that's enough. Shut up now. Yeah. Uh, but you also have that individual doubt each time you're writing a book. And it took me ages to, to realize that you, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, because each book is harder to write than the one before. I never thought it would be once I'd done one. I thought, oh, here we go. I can do this now. And then the second book was harder and the third book was harder than the second book. And then some writer said, well, duh, it's meant to be like that because you should be trying to write a better book. So, of course, it gets harder. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is, yeah, that constant doubt. If I, if I talk to a writer and I go, how's the new book going? They go, oh, this is great. It's the best thing I've ever written. That's alarm bells for me. Yeah. You know, that's really, you just think you're writing a dog of a book, if that's what you think. Um, no, I think you should always doubt what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It serves as a sort of quality check, I suppose. Yeah, yeah completely, mm-hmm. completely. Uh, well, um, uh, that's about all of the, the sort of main questions that, that we had, but um, we always like to wrap up each podcast with some quick fire sort of okay. one or other questions all um, right but feel free to expand on any of your answers um, all righty so uh going back to something i already mentioned line of duty or bodyguard line of duty okay um poirot or sherlock holmes sherlock holmes uh star wars or star trek star trek okay uh, I'm talking about the original series. Yes. Okay. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, TV or cinema? TV. Um, a real book or an e-book? Real book. Okay. Even when you're on holiday, do you take e-books? I've or? never, I've never read one. I don't own a Kindle. Oh, okay. There you go. Um, I'm too old. I'm too bloody old. 
<laughs> you can it, you can increase the font size. That's I know. Trust me. That yes, I, I am starting to see that as a plus. My glasses are just getting thicker and thicker. <laughs> um, and the last one, uh, a fancy restaurant or a takeaway? Nando's. Nando's. Excellent. Good it's choice. Every time. Every time. Um, I. Uh, uh, I've got my, my, my launch dinner tomorrow night. We are all going to a fancy restaurant because there's, you know, 20 people or something. Uh-huh. But if it was just me and my editor, it'd be Nando's. <laughs> that is where we, that's where we hold editorial meetings. Genuine is the Nando's, the Nando's nearest to my publisher's office. Uh, we go there and we sit in Nando's and we hammer it out. Have you, um, <laughs> got one of the legendary black cards? Oh, I would kill for one. <laughs> I would kill for one. <laughs> One of the one of these days. One of these days, exactly. Uh, well, thanks very much, Mark. Really appreciate that. Well, thank you. No worries. That was a lot of fun. Oh, that was absolutely rubbish, Marco. I thought. <laughs> As I said before, that was probably the best episode of the podcast we've had. <laughs> no, it was. It was very good. Uh, and no, he was a really nice guy. Yeah, no, he was uh, really nice and. Um, quite unusual that he has written this big series of crime novels featuring the same cop but it's not like he's got you know like a lot of crime writers might have a a, a sort of five book overall arching overarching story they want yeah. to tell but he's very much like he wants to tell the best story he can each time which yeah. is refreshing in a way I, think. I mean it does it does seem to go away from everything from Marvel to Game of Thrones, you know, everything is all about shared universes, building up to one moment. And yeah, in some ways, it's nice to know you can read, you can pick up a book and read it, and you're not missing out what yeah. came before. You, you, you'll if you read every Tom Thorne novel, you'll get to know Tom Thorne a bit more. But if you pick up the 18th Tom Thorne novel, yeah, you'll enjoy it as much as anyone yeah. that's read the others. So yeah, no, it, it's good. And he was sort of saying the same about TV shows now. I, you know, I'm a fan of these sort of big universes, but they do get too big sometimes. And sometimes, as he was saying, it's too difficult to find the time to invest in yeah, something. Yeah, there's like nothing that. worse than finding a show that's got four spin-offs and 20 yeah, episode exactly. seasons. And you think, oh, well, yeah, when am I going to ever watch all this? So you just don't watch it at all. No, exactly. Exactly. Well, it was really great of Mark to, to come on the podcast. Really appreciated that. And as I said before, his new book, Their Little Secret, is just out in hardback. I think it's already shooting towards the top of the bestseller charts. So um, do check it out if you like crime novels, because uh, I've not read that one, but have read some of his others, and they are all great. Yeah, they're, they're great books, absolutely. Um, who have we got on next week, Tyrone? Next week we have Tim LeBon, brother of uh, Simon LeBon. No, Genesis. you told me you weren't going to do this terrible choice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so apparently it's pronounced Tim Leban. Yes. Uh, author of The Silence. Yeah, The Silence, which is on Netflix at the moment. Uh, but he wrote the book before that, and there's a whole controversy relating to another film that we won't mention. Yeah, I've no, I've, I'm not sure what nope. it's talking about, but yeah, apparently. No idea. It was a really good chat that we had with Tim. So please do tune in for that one. Yeah, definitely. And as always, you can get in touch with us by sending us an email to podcast at rightgear.co.uk or send us a tweet to right underscore gear. And uh, thanks to Simon Stokes for his production assistance as usual. And we'll just leave you with another advert for page one, which, as we say, you can still late pledge on even though the Kickstarter campaign is over. We've not got too long, though couple of weeks yeah i'm not sure how long the late pledges will stay but yeah get in there join over 600 dollars and get in your page one notebook so you can plan your next story just head to the link in the bio and hit the late pledge button and we'll see you next week see you later 
The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is, write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying, or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. We've created three editions of page one, standard, premium, and exclusive Kickstarter edition. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic, or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one.